What is up, good people? Welcome back to Holy Shit Pod, a holy irreverence, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. Everybody's in the building today. Katie, Pastor Sam, Natasha, a.k.a. Liberty. And we're talking about Jerry Falwell. Did y'all hear? The man done backslid. He said he doesn't believe in Jesus, and he never did in the first place. Well, then he kind of took it back. But we'll get into all of that in a minute. Today's episode includes only Word of Pod, no church announcements. But I think you'll enjoy it. So with that, let's get into it. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Let's get right into the Word of Pod for the people of Pod. Last month, one of America's most least favorite conservative political pundits and Trump enthusiast, Jerry Falwell Jr., was back in the news. Jerry is the son of the televangelist Jerry Falwell Sr., who was also a conservative activist and Southern Baptist pastor who died in 2007. And just to make sure we keep things clear, for the purposes of this episode, we'll distinguish between the two by calling them Lil Jerry and Big Jerry, respectively. Many will remember that back in 2020, you know, like 15 years ago, the House of Falwell started to fall when news leaked of the scandalous affair between Lil Jerry's wife, Becky, white woman named Becky, imagine that, and Miami pool boy turned real estate broker turned entrepreneur Juan Carlo Granda. Come on now. Shortly after the story leaked, Lil Jerry resigned his position of president at Liberty University and flurried off to that place of the internet where has-beens go to die. However, Lil Jerry has recently re-emerged to be at the center of our collective attention due to an in-depth Vanity Fair profile written by journalist Gabriel Sherman that chronicles Lil Jerry's unlikely rise and precipitous fall at Liberty University. The thing that most people are talking about centers on one quote from Lil Jerry, which reads, Because of my last name, people think I'm a religious person, but I'm not. My goal was to make them realize I am not my dad, end quote. And so for today's word of pod, we want to dig a little bit into Lil Jerry and them for a little kiki about the cult of Christian celebrity and what the Falwells, <laughs> Bakers, Robertsons, and Trumps of the world have to teach us about faith, spirituality, and religion. So where should we begin? A picture came out with him not looking proper, right? And as the investigation unfolded, we found out that he actually knew about his wife's affair. So it depends on who you ask, right? Like, I thought it was a throuple too. Well, so Juan Carlos says that Jerry was in the know the entire time and that Jerry likes watching. Yes, and watch them. So that's why I said he was dipping in the pool with them. But we don't know if he was dipping, dipping, if he was just watching them dip. Oh, he was dipping. Dang, yeah, yeah. Come on now. I'm not taking up for him. All I'm saying is both little Jerry and Becky got some proclivities mm-hmm. that they didn't want people to know about. Right. Okay, we'll, we'll say that. We knew he won't big Jerry. <laughs> Oh, I hear what you're saying now. We knew that he wasn't his father. Got it. Right, right. He he made it very clear when he put Liberty online and they didn't want him to, but he was like, this is going to be the best business move that this world has ever seen, is what he said. To make money. Yeah, from a financial perspective. So, I mean, that whole thing about not wanting to be in his dad's shadow, that card is as old as humanism is. So, we knew that. 
you know what's funny is it says he didn't want to be like his dad. He's not into all that Christianity stuff. But the reality is he did exactly what his dad did, exactly what Pat Robertson did, exactly what all these folks did. They're not a religion. They are a money-making scheme. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to bring Liberty in Lynchburg out of almost bankruptcy and get them tons of money, was able to negotiate an eight-figure like departure from liberty. He knows how to make money. And that's what it's always been about, money and power. So he actually is doing the same thing that all of them are doing. Always. And he's made it very clear. And on some level, he does believe this evangelical nonsense because it's easier for him to say that he's not a Christian than to admit um, his own sexual identity because somehow deep down, he believes that it's wrong. Come on here. Mm-hmm. You making it plain. So y'all like jumping in real hard, like we in the living room together having a cup of bourbon and it is Sunday morning. So (laughs) we ready. See? Listeners are like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Not everybody's been keeping up with this. So let's be crystal clear. I mean, I'm just trying to give context. Rewind. Take it back now, (laughs) y'all. Hey. One hop this time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Uh, Crisscross. Reverse, reverse. (laughs) So Big Jerry founded Liberty University in order to make money, but Big Jerry also didn't have any business background. Big Jerry allegedly believed in what he espoused, although Lil Jerry raised some questions about that as well in the Vanity Fair piece. But but now I'm getting myself out of order. So Big Jerry brought on Lil Jerry to restore the institution. Mm -hmm. They had been losing a lot of money, tons Mm -hmm. of money on the verge of going bankrupt, and Lil Jerry was bought on to make the school fiscally solvent, which he did through and by Liberty University. And most people don't know that Jerry Falwell has a second son named Jonathan. When Big Jerry died, he made Jonathan the pastor of the church mm-hmm. and Lil Jerry was the president of Liberty University. Correct. So I think Big Jerry knew who his children were oh, and yeah. knew what his goals were for his own legacy. Because mm-hmm. Jonathan is like the more straight-laced, if you will, buttoned down. He's more straight. He believes in Jesus. More pastoral. <laughs> the the husband of one wife. What'd you say, Sam? I said, hi, he's more straight. <laughs> the boy of one pool. Mm-hmm. He got creases in his jeans. <laughs> Come on, Gene Grease with some starch. So the thing is, even Lil Jerry says Big Jerry didn't really believe that shit either. For all the conservative things that Big Jerry said, this is in the Vanity Fair piece. If you don't have a membership to Vanity Fair, they give you one article for free a month. So go on and Google it. We'll put it in the shower notes if you need it and go ahead and read it for yourself. It's a really long read. But he highlights his dad didn't believe this. His dad started to believe in Christianity, at least espouse a certain vision of Christianity because of his love for his mother, who was a devout Baptist woman. Yeah. Right. So he was trying to get in the pool too. Exactly. Like he went to a school to room with her fiance and then threw away the notes that he was sending to her. But that's my point, right? This isn't about Christianity. This isn't about faith. This isn't about believing in Jesus or what should or shouldn't happen as a faithful disciple. This is about gaining power and influence and money. And unfortunately, they've developed a very huge network, the moral majority back when I was a kid, and all of the work that they've done for anti-abortion stuff. This is all brought up by these people, Jim and Tammy Faye, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, all the people who think that the gays are responsible for 9-11 and the war in Ukraine and the pandemic. This isn't about belief at all, but people believe that it is. But Here's my thing, Karen, Teresa. My concern is that we too frequently and too quickly give these people a pass and we say, well, this is not about Christianity. This is about making money. And there's a way in which we distance ourselves from them. 
and we make them the folks who are doing the bad while not also, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I'm saying that's where the logic can yeah. lead, where in our church is the one or our denomination is the one or our religious cult is the one that knows the true and living God. And we're actually here for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of transforming lives and souls. And we don't sit there and assess or criticize the ways in which we do the same exact things in the pews that we sit in every single Sunday. Totally agree with you. Absolutely. But I was making the connection between little Jerry saying he didn't believe any of his father's stuff anyway, but he just did it because his dad did it and got a big fat paycheck. But my point is, he did exactly what Jerry Falwell did. And any choices in a denomination or in in non-denominational, just church congregational-based stuff, there is always a question of power, always a question, maybe a question of money. But that's why you got to have people around you making decisions. To your point, Brandon, there's also a rush to us and them, to other people, a whole, whole lot. Right. People will talk about those evangelicals, Mm. those conservatives, them, 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 as if that is a goal or responsibility to exclude, right? Mm -hmm. To distance, right? I'm not doing this, so I'm better than. At least I'm not doing that, so, you know, we're not that sinful, It should be about looking at Christianity whole, collectively. And so saying, if my Christian brother or sister or sibling is doing X, Y, Z, that is poorly reflected on Christianity. And they have called themselves Christians. And so we don't have a a measure. So it is us and not just them when it comes to that. Yeah. When When it comes to Christianity, we can't other. But that's that's the attempt to do that because people want to disown the evangelicals as if they're not operating or worshiping the same God as the evangelicals. Just because they're not dipping in pools and having sex and letting their wives or husbands sleep with other people and they know about it doesn't mean that they're not without sin. They're still fighting for the same power. Yep. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to get at is I think Lil Jerry is actually the most honest one among us. Like he's saying, I didn't believe any of this stuff. For me, it was about carrying on my father's legacy. And it was also about proving that I'm not my father. My father didn't believe this stuff. The line that stood out to me the most is Big Jerry didn't drink wine, but Lil Jerry remembers his father drinking an entire bottle of NyQuil, calling it the Baptist wine. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference, need I ask? There isn't one. Exactly. Mm-mm. So I'm not going to get drunk with the wine of the world, but I'm going to get drunk with this bottle of NyQuil. It wouldn't work the same today because it's non-habit form and it don't have no alcohol in it. Sam said he tried it and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Brandon, you mentioned uh, good old Tammy Faye, who I feel like was also an honest one. Um, and if you haven't watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, you probably should. So, you know, just get a little more context. But it's interesting because it, details kind of the response Hmm. from Big Jerry to Jim Baker Hmm. uh, when he admitted to having an affair. He basically ended that whole empire. Indeed. The Tammy Faye and Jim Baker empire. And now fast forward, Lil Jerry is literally... It's the same thing. But Lil Jerry comes out and be like, don't hold me to that standard. I don't believe this anyway. And yeah, I knew my wife was sleeping with this man. 
He still says he didn't. He still claims that he didn't. I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't know. I think that Lil Jerry was dipping in the pool as well. I think that they was all skinny dipping. He knew. And also, I got really sad because one of my favorite restaurants in Miami, like my favorite restaurant, the new patio area because of the pandemic is owned by Lil Jerry. And so I'm a little bit distraught. I don't know if I can eat there anymore. It's like a little tiki <laughs> situation in the back. But I literally just sat there last month sitting on Jerry Falwell's poolside <laughs> incestuous patio. <laughs> I wondered that as soon as I read the story about that. The food is great, but I wasn't invited into any pools. And when you think about it, this is why I can't believe Jerry, right? So he was in the process of making a $1.8 million deal. He claims his wife told him mm-hmm. about this affair. He still went ahead with the deal. They continued to fly to Miami. The affair continued for another year. They would fly to Miami. His wife would book a separate room for her and Juan Carlo. You know, mm-hmm. come on, man. And after you know about the affair, you still have this joker come to your house and he stays in your daughter's bedroom. Yes. And then pushes mm-hmm. your wife down and they have sex again in your house in your daughter's bedroom and you don't know about it nah you was in the pool Mm-hmm. They're trying to shield mm-hmm. and protect him by not saying he was actually involved but Juan Carlo was like he watched you know he watched and Juan Carlo got a book coming out later this year y'all oh tell all and there's a whole documentary coming out too a documentary, I guess you could say yeah. And that's why he's getting ahead of it. Yes. That's why he's having this Vanity Fair interview and he's saying the things that he's saying because he's trying to get ahead of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, he behind. <laughs> it depends on what, what role he plays. In the- <laughs> or ahead or behind. <laughs> Underneath. <laughs> Above and not beneath. Anyway. <laughs> this is the thing for me. There's this thing with secular artists, R&B, rap, whatever, where they stop selling records and then all of a sudden they want to release a gospel album because they know the church folks will be like, oh, praise the Lord. Snoop Dogg done found Jesus and done released the whole gospel album with the Clark sisters. We'll do it. And then they'll get money from church folks and then go back to the secular world like it never happened. This reads very much like the opposite of that. Like Lil Jerry's like, okay, the Christians done said, I ain't really fooling with you. Let me get this Vanity Fair profile and say, I never believed any of this stuff anyways. Yes. Let me get some money off of that for a little while. And then when I get the, enough money from that, I'll come back to the church and be like, look, the Lord done saved me again. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry the devil used me and get money off of them again. It's all about money. That's what Katie said. That's what I said. It's all about the money. It's all about the dum dum diddy dum dum. The other piece in this is that Billy Graham's son, Bill Graham's trying to take over Liberty University because he says it's really his father, Billy Graham, who was responsible for putting Liberty University on the map and really, you know, cultural Christianity, conservative Christianity. And Lil Jerry's like, no, it's me. It's me and my daddy. It ain't your daddy. And so I enter that into the conversation because what I'm reading is white conservative religious politics. I think what I realized a long time ago based on my interactions with the church is that what the church is all about in America really is about white people who can't get power in the public sphere feel like they can get it in the church. If I'm not good enough to run for public office and get elected, I'll go be a pastor. If I'm not good enough to become a corporate CEO, then I'm going to go be a pastor. If I'm not good enough to be whatever, fill in the blank, and however we like to name people as successful, they feel like they can get that success in the church and then they mirror exactly what they see in the world inside of the church because it's all about power. It's never been about Jesus. Correct. And it's not just for the Falwells and the Bakers and the Robertsons. It's also for the pastor around the corner. This is a real thing. And I think it gets to the heart of why Donald Trump was able to take over the Republican Party so easily. Because like we said in an episode a long time ago, I don't know which one it was, but the church has been grooming us for Donald Trump. We've been having religious leaders for the last umpteen years who aren't qualified, who don't actually believe what they're saying, who are just there for the money. And so when you get a person running for president like Donald Trump, who can get up there clearly not knowing what two Corinthians is, 
is and still get the vast majority of the evangelical Christian vote, that should tell us something about what religion actually is in America. That's why I can't keep calling myself a Christian. So what are you? I say I'm culturally Christian now is what I say most days. And I still appreciate the teachings of Jesus. I don't even like calling myself a follower of the way because I think that progressive liberal Christians try to call themselves that. And I don't want to be affiliated with that either. What I do is I read and I take what I read seriously. I'm a textualist, if anything. And that's not a biblical literacist. I like the text. I like the story. In the Bible, right, you get this concept of jubilee in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, where in every 50 years, the assumption was that humans are going to fuck something up. Humans are going to get to the place where they're dominating one another, they're harming one another, that people are going hungry, people are homeless, people are being forced into prostitution, not choosing it, but being forced into it. The, The world is messed up and we need to restore things once every single 50 years and we need to have jubilee to set the record straight again. Those concepts, those teachings, those things in the text, I believe in them 175%. And a lot of times they help me illuminate what I should be doing in my life and give me examples of ways forward that are more just, more inclusive, more equitable, more human. But that doesn't mean that I'm I'm a Christian. Because what Christianity is about at this juncture, not just for white folks, but for America, is Donald Trump, is conservatism, and it is power. It's always been about power. Say more. In my experience, you know, I have found people who, like you said earlier, we're not able to elevate to a position of power anywhere else. So they would establish a church, not because God called them to, but because the infatuation or the need for power is calling them. And the authority to be able to tell people what to do, to have people underneath you, that's, that is why there are churches with five members. There are churches with 12 members. You know, there are even the congregations with 2,000 plus members that, that have a leader who is just there for power, not even necessarily money. Money is like a byproduct. What we have here in Jerry is an honest confession that said, yeah, I was there for the money. Yeah. Which is why he was gone all the time, doing stuff all the time. He just wanted money. Which is why when he got there and Big Jerry knew that on a financial perspective, this son, Lil Jerry, would be able to turn things around. Which is why that's what he called him in to do. Right. And even even, uh, Donald Trump's ascension to presidency was about power. It wasn't a financial move. And what we have here in Graham versus Falwell is about power. No, my daddy. No, my daddy. No, me. No, me. And so what Christian folk will do is see Graham as the more worthy, perhaps, because we don't know about his sin. We ha- we know about Jerry sin. We know that Franklin Graham is not the best preacher in the Graham family, but they won't let his sister, whose name, of course, I don't know, take over the Graham name. Is she, is she a better preacher? That's what everybody says. Because she a woman. See, that... That 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 right there is sin in and of itself. The fact that you misogynistic mm-hmm. and you got a whole sister and a whole mama came out of a whole woman. Not a half a woman, a whole woman. You can't say that your sister preached better than you. Come on, sis, you lead this because you you would do better. I think this Falwell thing is interesting with little Jerry because he stepped down in the wake of this larger scandal. But, you know, he had to take a leave before that because he tweeted out this picture with him and some woman with both of their pants unzipped, like on this vacation that they were having. And he has like a glass with some dark liquor. And he was like, that's just dark water in my (laughs) glass, you know. Right. (laughs) He was impersonating something. They said it was a costume part. Yes, they said it was. But a lot of people said, like, this violates the code of conduct. Correct. 
you're holding thousands of students to standards that you're not living up to yourself. Say that again. Say that again for the people in the back. Mm-hmm. I said you're holding thousands of students at Liberty University to standards that you're not living mm-hmm. up to yourself, little Jerry. Yeah. And before that, he tweeted out like some images of blackface and KKK, which multiple black faculty and staff at the school called on him to resign. And so, like, mm-hmm. you have a habit. This is who you are. And Graham defended him. He sure did. After this whole Juan Carlo thing, Graham was like, we all make mistakes. I know how I identify myself. I've been pretty open and honest about that on this podcast. I'm not somebody who hates the church. I think that I still see churches do good things or the people within churches do good things in spite of all the misgivings associated with that sort of context for worship. I see people who call themselves Christians who are some of the best humans that I know. I see folks who call themselves Christians who are some of the worst people that I know. So for me, in the same way that it's sort of gay, straight, bi, queer, trans, those terms don't do work for us. Like, And for some people, those terms are extremely important. And I get that. For me, it was extremely important in a certain season of my life. But also, those terms don't automatically give us some sort of political identity or give us some sort of safety or salvation. It actually is the work and the thought and the life that goes behind those terms that gives them meaning. And so for me, the fruit of Christianity, at least in America, isn't bearing good fruit anymore. If there's a tree that is dying, in order to try to save that tree, you need to first call somebody to assess it. Is the tree at its root, at its core, and in the ground, is the soil so bad that the tree can't be saved? Or is it the case that it's a branch that's dying? If it's a branch that's dying, then there's some pruning that's necessary so that the rest of the tree can live. My concern is if we have 100 branches on the tree that is Christianity, 75 of the branches are producing bad fruit or not producing any fruit at all or pushing out shit and calling it an apple and asking people to eat it. And for the 25 branches that are still sitting there producing good fruit in spite of that, they can't do it for long. They can't do it forever. It's not like somehow, some way, the 25 branches will overcome the 75. The tree is already in the process of dying. Do you want it to live? If so, you have to cut off the 75 branches that are producing the bad fruit. And there seems to be a collective unwillingness to do so and to try to act like the entire tree is worth saving because these 25 branches are still producing something good. No, the entire tree is no longer worth saving. Cut off that which is dead. And that's Bible. I hate when Brandon get metaphor. I don't know what the hell he was talking about. 25 branches, 75 branches, apples and trees and fruits and shit. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do, Negro. (laughs) You preached a mighty tree sermon. I will say in response, there needs to be some uprooting and replanting. So the invitation is, where is the new ground? Bloom where you are planted. Natasha said, I'm giving the damn invitation right now. I don't know, though. You don't know? I don't know, Natasha. Okay, let's talk. I don't know about the branches and the pruning. I think the whole tree. Yeah. I think it's got to come up by the roots. I don't think there's anything sacred about some of these trees. Hmm. I still think there's a remnant. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm with Natasha. I mean, the thing is... I think it requires the ability to acknowledge sin or acknowledge the structures that our churches or our denominations have been a part of. And I think it's hard work. In this ideal world, we would be continuously listening for the Spirit talking to the church today, trying to hear what the call is. I think if churches are willing to engage that and risk everything for the sake of that, then I think that takes us into new territory. I think that's hopeful, Ricks. I don't want to kill the metaphor, but I think there's also other paths. 
right? So I would say if we're sticking with the tree metaphor for a little while longer, for the 25 branches or the 25% of the tree, the 25% of the church that is still producing some fruit that is worth consumption, if that 25%, if we actually take the fruit of that and replant it, something new could be born if we don't have, you know, Masano putting the pesticides in it where we can't actually plant it and grow something <laughs> new. Yeah. As opposed to trying to save the tree, let's yeah. save the fruit because the right. fruit that is being produced from that tree is actually nothing more than a memory. Yeah, the, the tree can't be saved. The tree is sick. That's what I said. You did. I'm saying that with you, Sam. No, I know you agreeing. But that's what I said too. I said there's a remnant. You churchy. You did say there's a remnant, but I think the difference is we thought we were saying because of the remnant saved the tree. That's what we thought you were saying. The tree can't be saved. And I and I say this from real life experience. A tree mm. fell on our house a couple of years ago in the middle of a hurricane. And it, we found out when the people came to cut the tree so they could move it off of our roof that the tree was in fact sick. It, it was, yeah, it was dying from, from the inside. Correct. And the challenge is you might see some greenery or see some stuff and think, oh, ain't nothing wrong with that tree. Mm -hmm. And once they come to remove it, they say this tree's been dead. Like this tree is dead. It was sick. It was sick, but not dead. That's why we still saw greenery. So the church is sick, but not dead. Right. Oh my God. Mm, 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 mm. Mm -hmm. That's something. That'll preach. Come on here. Is the church sick? Ab absolutely. And so the, the question is, I do believe that taking the fruit, because the fruit is what we are after. That's, that is what we're called to, we're called to produce fruit. And so I, I appreciate mm. taking the fruit that we're able to eat from the tree mm -hmm. and using the seed of the fruit to plant somewhere else. That's why I said we need to find different soil, different ground to plant it in. Good ground. That's what you said. Yes, yes. That's it. And the fruit is going to be different, right? But listen, she just she just sparked something in me. So we we dealing with the tree, but is it the ground? Is it the soil? She said we need to find right. a different soil. Because if you mess around and take that good fruit and plant it in the wrong place, it's gonna die. you will get the same thing. Yes. In another generation, you will get another tree that's dead, that's corrupt, um, that 75% of the branches mm -hmm. are, aren't producing or either pr producing corrupt fruit. So what is the bad soil that has produced the corrupt trees? Huh? Ask the question. I said I didn't know what the hell you were talking about, but I, I I got in there. I got in there. The Sunday school superintendent said there will be no student left behind. Ah, yeah. come on. Sam, you're gonna find himself <laughs> in this analogy. Mm. <laughs> he gonna take a text. The soil of white supremacy is what kills these trees. Come on here. Not that easy. Not that easy. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think there's different fruit, right? Like we've all been trying to get in the same soil and the same tree. Like there's not going to be just one Christian tree, right? I mean, we can see the fruit of the spirit, but there's people who who grow fruit from different places and it looks different. And it's, is that all the same tree or is it a grafted tree or is it just planted in new areas? I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think for me, I'm sitting here like part of the issue is the risk in replanting is that you do try to recreate exactly what you saw, right? When it's all said and done, many of us have only ever known a dead tree or a sick tree, depending on who's talking, me and Natasha. With hindsight being 2020, I in my lifetime have never known a tree that isn't sick and or dead. And so if I take the fruit and I try to plant it in soil, either near that tree that's dead or near a new, in a, in a new place, the risk is once it starts growing, I start to hate it because it may not look like the tree that we had to cut down. And our assumption is that we want whatever grows to look just like the tree that's dead. And if all we've known is death and all we've known is sickness, when life starts to spring up, we want to kill it because there's fear. 
when something new starts to emerge. Mm-hmm. I want something I can control or predict. I want decency and order. Power. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Or it's just not going to look the same at all. You can't grow it the same way. But that's what he's saying. He's saying we aren't prepared for what a healthy tree may come up because we have normalized a sick tree. And when we see a healthy tree coming up, we want to kill it because it doesn't give us the nostalgia or the feels of that sick tree that we grew. I was reared by the sick tree. I was I was shaped by the sick tree. And this is a uh, this this looks different. This isn't familiar. This ain't right. Let me cut this down and start all over. And I think that's what Brandon is saying. More or less, yeah. Preach, preacher. What I was thinking of was gardening, right? So I always want things to look like, you know, those people who know how to garden <laughs> and grow things. And so when it doesn't work, then I get frustrated and, and move on. Yes. But what they say is that you never mm-hmm. know what's going to come out of the ground. People who garden do that. They say it may grow 12 years great and then it, it just won't even grow or something. And so you have to grow in the soil, whatever it can grow, whatever the su- side the sun is coming from and stuff like that. So, But most people aren't ready for that, especially people who are thirsty for power, right? No. They want to be able to control what comes out of the ground. And if they can't control what comes out of the ground, then we're going to cut it down. And we're going to start all over. Correct. I don't care how much how much you say you want equity, how much you say you want inclusion, how much you say you want all of this stuff. You know, it's ornamental. Nah, they're, they're not even growing trees. They went to Kirkland's and got them fake plastic trees and put one in the corner and said, don't you see it? Don't you see it? It's ornamental. Don't it look real? Just like real life. And see, the, the problem with that is, is you ain't put in the work, so you don't care about it. My God. In the corner, dusty. Right. And, and you, so you you haven't done anything. You took your money, a.k.a. your power, to go get something and replicate what somebody else over here took in blood, sweat, and tears to do. And then you wonder why your stuff don't look the same. But it does look the same because they both did. If all you've ever known is death, then you will always recreate death if you aren't open to nature, to the ground, producing the fruit that it chooses to produce in the manner and in the time that it chooses to produce it. And it does require to get dirty. Mm -hmm. And I think the saddest thing is that for people without an awareness, death is life to you. Mm. Yep. And we will stay in places that kill us. Yeah. and, And glorify it. It's not a labor of love. It's sad. There was a preacher I heard telling a story about how he grew up like kind of poor and disadvantaged. And because they normalized a lot of things, when he had the real things, he didn't know what it was. He was like, they grew up putting ketchup on spaghetti. And so when he had spaghetti with spaghetti sauce, he was like, what is this? Where's, give me give me some ketchup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. The same way that he did that growing up in poverty, that's the same thing people do with power, with influence, who are drunk off of those things, half of those things. I want what I have made normal. And if that's death, if that's, you know, oppression, suppression, I can give you some ornamental things, um, but still have what it is I want. I'm going to use my power to make it resemble what I'm comfortable with or what keeps me in power. This is why we are taught to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because we don't know what we be doing. But we we say we believe in a God who knows all and does all and can be all things to all people. But we don't yield to that God. Because sometimes that God asks us to do things that causes us to relinquish our power. It makes us look like we're not powerful. So we're contending with the almighty God. This is, this is who we call the almighty God. 
I'm glad you said that because I feel like I don't want to take a too hard of a shift here. But when we explore what that looks like, a God that is all things to all people, how does that decenter Christianity? Because it should, it, appropriately so. What does that look like and what does that mean? Because as we talk about power, us folks who identify as Christian are also drunk with it, especially from a religious standpoint. And that's why we're the only ones who know the right God, the only God, the true God. And living God. And somehow we can dismiss everyone, everyone else's truth. You said a lot, preacher. Listen, I want to take a quick break. We've said a lot today. And I want to give us a second to breathe, catch the metaphor and come back and put it down and make it real plain in case you got lost in the metaphor. But if, if you got the Holy Ghost, you didn't get lost in the metaphor. It's in your spirit. You just got to call it forth. But we're going to take a quick break to give you a breather, give ourselves a breather. And we'll be right back after this with some closing thoughts and an invitation. Yes. And if you're listening and you have a degree from Liberty University, let's move on to something else. <laughs> I was like, you are not going to get them sick of me. You're not going to get them coming to me. They do have some good... Good uh, online degrees. They do have some good offerings, but here again, that's part of the marketing, and that was Jerry's goal, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like you can't say no. If people want a good online education that is accredited, I mean, Mm -hmm. a very, very forefront contender is the school that Big Jerry founded. Not because of its academic reputation, but because it's accessible. Right. right, because it's available. Well, and they have a good SEO, Brandon. Now I know what that means. Because anytime you look up like best um, school for public health or best school for whatever, it doesn't even matter if they're good or not. Liberty comes up. It's coming up. Every single time on the Google. So bear in mind that you have a bunch of theological education people on this podcast. And so the, this sort of excursus into online education and accessibility and SEO, which is search engine optimization, it's all related to the work they do. But we can come back to that later. Let's get back into the discussion. I like the way that um, like Natasha's remnant and Brandon, your idea of taking the fruit and planting those seeds elsewhere for reasons that I can only believe our Holy Spirit because cognitively they don't make sense. I'm committed to something within the church because I'm committed to a community that seeks to be faithful together. For me, I can't think about doing faith without being connected with other people. So my wrestling for the past eight years has been about how does one do that within the context of denomination? Can that be done? I think the church has to look different. So I think that you do have to take those seeds and you have to plant them somewhere else and see what grows. And so there are some places that are doing really creative things and and willing to set aside all that we think is sacred in order to encounter God in a new way. And those are the things that inspire me. Those are the places that give me hope. Mm-hmm. Even as I also know that the church I grew up in is not the church that nurtures me today. And I think this relates to Jerry Falwell because he is trying to maintain what he's always grown up in, right? He's like, at the end of that story from Vanity Fair, they're like, are you guys going to move somewhere? Like, no, this is my land, right? This is this is, this is where I am. He, he's not willing to go somewhere, somewhere else. He's still stuck in the story. But if there's a community where people can wonder together, well, people can get dirty, like Natasha said in that garden, then something new is going to come. I don't know what it is, but something new is going to come. Thank you for that, Katie. And thank you, Brandon and Samuel, for this time today. I will say, you know, when my grandmother was preparing to 
meet the Lord face to face. My uncles and my mom asked me to type up her do not resuscitate letter. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I typed up the letter. I typed up their names, seven of them all together. And uh, they met one day at one of my uncle's house so they could each sign it one by one. One of my uncles wondered if when the time came, he would be able to let her go. So he wrestled a little bit with putting his name there. Mm. What he said in that moment was, I have to honor her wish to go when she says she's ready. If not, then I'm being selfish. So they all signed the do not resuscitate. And when my grandmother passed away, she did so peacefully. Do not resuscitate. And when this podcast says we're talking about power, my grandmother's last act of power was to give the power to her children Mm. to let her go peacefully. And I feel like this is what Christ did when he left the Holy Spirit in the earth with us. So he knew he was not going to be here for forever. We have power Hmm. to let Christianity do what it needs to do. But we can't fight God, the creator of all things, for that power. We have a responsibility in the power that we have been given and that it is a shared power. If the uncle had decided not to sign that DNR, it would not have stood. So one lost signature could negate her request. We have to operate in Christianity for the greater good, not for our own good. Boy, yeah. And I think sometimes we get it confused because if it doesn't feel good to us as an individual, then it can't be good. My God. And that is not mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. There are many things that I've been called to do that don't feel good to my life. But I do it because I believe in the call that Christ has put on my life. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me. It is about Christ's name. If you look back in the Bible, every time a prophet got ready to pray to God to redeem people who kept backsliding and doing crazy things, like in Isaiah and Jeremiah, they said, God, remember this for your name's sake. In other words, forget about what the people are doing, God. Remember your name. We want your name to stay good. And there are too many times where people want their own name in the spotlight. And it costs us our Christianity when we do that as a collective. That's why we got a sick tree. Because there's too many people who want their name in the spotlight and not the name of Christ. And God knows that. When you say Christ, every black grandmother in the world rises up. So let Christ rest in knowing that his life is not in vain. How you spell Christ? <sighs> it's got a K in it. To follow this analogy, my mom has a green thumb. And I've seen my mom go into a plant and start pulling out the dead limbs. She started pruning it. And she said, they look dead, but as long as they're still attached. Now, there's no re- they, they can't come back. But as long as they're still attached, they're taking nutrients from the part of the tree that's still living. And so you have to take out that which is dead. But I've also seen my mom come in and repot a plant because the soil isn't able to give it the nutrients that it needs or because the place that it is in is too small and it needs more room to grow. Come on here. And so sometimes for those people, those few people who want to hold on to power, or who are thirsty for power, who don't want to think about the larger group in, in, for the whole community. Sometimes you got to do like Paul and say, put them out. 
You need to disfellowship with them. We spend too much time trying to convince people who have no interest for the whole to do the right thing. And sometimes you just need to show them the exit. There's the door. See, Natasha, where you took the metaphor, the conversation, I thought you were going to take a turn that you didn't. There were a lot of turns I could have taken, but I tried to stay with where we were at today. Well, I'm t- well I mean, it's, this is where I am. Come on. What I thought you were going to do was when Christ left, Christ signed a do not resuscitate order. And he asked those of us who remain, when this thing that y'all are creating that I never desired to create, the thing that y'all are calling a church, come on, when it's dead, I'm entrusting that power to you, that you all will let it die when it's dead, that you will not put it on ventilators and on machines to keep it alive longer than it needs to be alive because Jesus did not say that I've come that you might have a church (laughs) and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And if we get to the place where the church, the temple, are not allowing us to have life and life more abundantly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have power that's been entrusted to us. Are we going to be like the one brother who said, I'm not going to sign that document because I'm not going to kill my mama? Or will we say that power never belonged to us anyways? And ultimately what we have been given is trust. Huh? Trust that we will be faithful to the task of ensuring that nothing gets in the way of life and life to the fullest. And so that's the invitation for everybody today, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself. How are you ensuring that you're being faithful to the trust that you've been given? Mm. The trust that you've been given to make sure that everything in the world and all of creation produces life and life more abundantly. How are you being faithful to that task that may look different for you than it looks for me? It'll look different for Katie than it looks for Sam. It'll look different for Natasha than it does for somebody else. But ultimately, how are you being faithful to the trust that you've been given? And what dying things do you need to let die so that you can also have life? Hmm. That brings us to the end of another episode of Holy Shit Pod. We thank you so much for listening. We hope that you don't feel a dead at the end of that episode, but that you feel life bubbling up inside of your soul. And if you feel that life bubbling up, you know we got a few asks at the end of the podcast. Katie, tell them what they can do to rate and review. Well, if you're listening in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can give us five stars, um, pretty please, and tell us what you liked about the show. You can also... Natasha. You can Natasha. What do you, Natasha, the next thing, email us. Email us. Oh, oh, you can also email us, y'all. Come on and talk to us and tell us something. And you can do that by going to holy, H O L Y S H I T at theolabmedia.com. <laughs> y'all, she cussed like a sailor when we stopped recording. Not a sailor. A sailor end. A captain. Woo, y'all, we know there were no um, stimulus checks this year, but it is income tax season. So if you got a little extra money in your pocket, we want you to head on over to patreon.com slash Media and go ahead and sow those first fruits into the offering basket so that the ministry can be blessed. Sow your last fruits. Pay your gas bill, pay your light bill, pay your mortgage, pay your rent. Shoot, pay yourself. And then... That's not, if that's you not what Big Jerry would tell you to do. Big Jerry would not tell you to do You're right. Big Jerry would say if you come swim with me that's little Jerry and if you would prefer not to give on patreon.com you can also just call me personally and I'm happy to come be your pool boy on a contract and a salary wow <laughs> oh that's right Big Jerry was the one um, drinking NyQuil yes 
We'll be back, y'all. <laughs> same time, same place next week. Until then. Peace. peace.